welcome to Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast, and speaking of music, that song that played me in is titled Seven Winds of Segment. It is from the album Femina Forins, and it is by Juna. And my guest today is Donna Diane, the uh, badass on the guitar and the uh, front person of that two-person band. And if you know the band, you know she also plays uh, like a Moog bass with her feet. Pretty goddamn impressive. Watch some videos of the band. Uh, this is a really great episode. I, I I discussed this a little bit in the episode, but I discovered uh, Jungna randomly, and Donna Diane just came, popped up in my uh, feed on the old Instagram, and I was like, who the fuck is this? And uh, investigated, found out they're from Chicago. Always a fan of having Chicago musicians on the show. And uh, we had a really great conversation, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. If you could tell I sound a little funny, it's because I have COVID. I've had COVID. It's really fucking my whole world up. <laughs> uh, but before I forget, uh, all things Jungna are in the show notes. Uh, the album is a self-release. It's a very impressive tale of their growing popularity uh but please buy the album support them you could stream it as well but also buy it then stream it give them the double buck all things websites all that stuff for the band is in the show notes as well as uh there is a part two to this episode it is a we we talked for a long time and so there's a part two you could find that at my on my patreon the we'll link you to all things matt dwyer and my patreon merch all the episodes. Uh, and if you're a first-time listener and you explore the website, find some of my past episodes. I'm sure there's more podcast episodes of this fine podcast show you would like to listen to. Uh, also, if you're a first-time listener, you might not know that I produced and curated an album with Sub Pop along with uh, filmmaker Adam McKay. It is called uh, The Eleventh Hour, Songs for Climate Justice. It has a lot of great bands on there like uh, Death Valley Girls, Fake Fruit, Deerhoof, Moby, Mud Honey, the list goes on and on. It goes Cloud Nothings. There's another one. Uh, the, anyway, there's 20 songs on there. 100% of the proceeds go to benefit the Climate Emergency Fund. So please buy that as well and stream it. Do both. But all links to these things are in the show notes. Again, thematwire.com. Which also, weird I mentioned uh, mattwire.com because my partner, Kelly R. Dwyer, did my website, and she does a lot of websites. She does a lot of big, huge podcasts. Politicians, artists, you name it, she does it. So you can get a website from her if you want, kellyardewire.com. That is it for my show intro. Remember, part two of this episode lives on my Patreon. Thank you, and now here's my conversation with Donna Diane Ojuna. <laughs> school job was I worked at the Buffalo Grove Sam Ash I was Ooh. like the I was like a cash register girl because I really wanted to work at a guitar store but I wasn't old enough to um sell guitars so I like did the cash register <laughs> they didn't you had to be a certain age is, is that like a legal thing you got to be like 18 to sell a guitar or something well okay so <laughs> <laughs> there was just like there I mean it's a guitar store there was like a lot of funny business going on so like my uh high school boyfriend and I um 
we both, we decided like we were, Oh, we're, we're going to get, um, jobs at this guitar store. And one of the women that worked there, when she was training us for the cash register, she stole money out of his drawer and blamed it on him. And he got fired for it. And I felt so bad for him, but I was like, I really like this job. <laughs> I continued working there, but it's just like, you kind of had to like look out for yourself. Cause there was like, I mean, there were people that were like literally living in their van in the parking lot, like musicians and stuff. Like it was not like, yeah, like it, it was a very interesting. Cause there was like a lot, a lot of people from the city would commute up there to work, like to be like the salespeople. And then, either sleep in the parking lot or like go back to wherever they're from. And, and I'm just like a kid in high school in the suburbs. I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like this guy's living in his van. Like that's awesome. Living, living the music. Were you already set on being a musician? I mean, well, I definitely, I loved playing music. Like I kind of, I definitely fell into it early. Like I met up with like a band through that store and like, was like playing bass in it, like definitely underage, like in the city. <laughs> really? Like playing clubs? Yeah. Like, I mean, nothing like high profile, but like, yeah, dive bars in the city. Like, definitely. They would like, it was basically like they were such dive bars, like nobody even cared that I was like 17. <laughs> yeah. I see kids who are 17 now, and I'm like, how did anyone ever let me in this place? Like, that's insane but yeah i thought i was such hot shit like I, that was the coolest thing to me i was playing with these guys that are like 10 years older than me and <laughs> were you drinking no i didn't drink at all then like i don't i just like wasn't never like that kind of kid that i did not get into like drinking or like smoking weed like when i was in high school it was just like later in college then i was like oh <laughs> you know i don't it's like i never thought to do it or i don't know it was so bad, especially now that I'm like so into like health and like mental well being and everything. I just like think about how terrible that really was. <laughs> like yeah. the stuff we would do, you know, like I worked for like a concert booking organization in college and we would have like these parties. It was just like, yeah, we would just get like crazy drug like just make like a huge thing the batch of like Everclear and like lemonade and every it was just like it's astounding oh uh, yeah i was like how was i in charge of this organization like that was a huge liability <laughs> like but i was i was 20 like i didn't know any better you know yeah um. no i would do an open <laughs> i would do an open mic and and as a as a, and i would we would drink like we played carnegie hall like it was just like yeah it made no <laughs> everything was like blow out get drunk just because you did a show or yeah. whatever yeah or went to a yeah. show it was such a because i think like i i didn't drink when i was younger because it was like i didn't actually like it but i <laughs> i just did it later and then it was only later in life i was like oh yeah i don't really like doing this like it's just like i don't judge other people for it but it's like it's not something that like i like super enjoy yeah, I just had to be, be honest with myself about that. <laughs> it took me an embarrassing long time to realize, like, why am I drinking? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like what is this doing? Like, this is doing nothing f for my life other than <laughs> making me grumpy. Like the next yeah. day. Yeah, exactly. I'm fascinated by these bands and stuff that you were playing in in high school because that's pretty hip. Like, 
don't know, that's a world opening up to you moment playing, even if it's dive bars in the city at 17. Yes. Yeah. But it also, it was good and bad because it was really cool, but it was also like, I was hanging out with people that I should not have been hanging out with at that age. Like there's no reason like guys in their late twenties should have like a teenager as their bass player. (laughs) Like that it was, it was not a good situation. And so I actually, a couple years after that, I like quit playing music for most of my twenties. Oh yeah. I, I, I studied writing in school and I was just like, music is not like a serious art form. I want to be a writer. That's like, that's, that's a serious, (laughs) serious art form. Like music is just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I just had like some bad experiences with it. And it was only later in life that, um, I was actually working on a novel and I, I couldn't, I was, I was stuck on it. And I was like talking to this writing coach and she was like, do you have any unfinished creative projects in your past? And I was like, well, I mean, I used to play music, like write songs, but I never really did anything with it. And she was like, your creative self does not take you seriously. If you have unfinished business from your past, you have to finish it or it will not let you move on. So I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I started playing music again. And like, then you know, now that's taken over. Like this novel I haven't worked out in like 10 years. <laughs> well, your creative self won't take yourself seriously until you finish that novel. I, I know. Now it's like, when's that going to happen? I don't know. I guess I got to finish all these, whatever albums I have left in me and then go back to it. <laughs> that's fascinating to me. I think it too, I don't know, in a weird way, our lives are similar. Cause I was like a 17 year old hanging out at second city and going to bars with people. So it was like, I was like in the old town ale house and like, I was like, I had no fucking, I was 17 getting served. Like it was crazy. Yes. Yeah. And you know, set up a series of bad patterns that I would follow out for too long. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing is like, I feel like that happened in like the eighties and nineties. And then like, it was like maybe around the two thousands or something like bar owners and stuff like i don't know if they started enforcing stuff but i feel like that stuff doesn't go on as much yeah it was a bit more wild westy in chicago yes it was like the way wicker park was like back in the 90s that's where i lived yeah oh anything went there like you you could be anyone and do anything it was it was wild (laughs) yeah what may I ask what sort of novel you don't have to go in it like, but like what sort of like genre were you working in as a novelist? Um, genre. I mean, it was kind of just, I would, I characterize it as like a funny independent type, like novel. It was like a little artsy, a little comical. (laughs) That sounds right up my alley. Yeah, it was about um it was about a young like a girl in her late teens who befriends this guy in his early 30s who's a DJ in like a, a Peoria type town like downstate Illinois and they like become friends. She wants to become a journalist. He's a DJ who like um just kind of like gave up on being an artist in New York and like moved back to the Midwest and kind of hates his life and <laughs> uh, it was the plot like is it. so convoluted his dad was a musician who like 
have used to do like uh have you ever heard of song poetry i was like obsessed with this for a while i i'm not sure so song poetry was like this um thing that evolved in like the 60s and 70s where um they would have these magazine contests um where they would uh tell people to write in with their song lyrics we'll produce um a song we'll produce your song for you and market it to all the major record labels you just send us the lyrics and this was like the coolest thing so like So like some lady in Iowa would be like, oh, I know I have the words to like a hit song and she would like write them out, mail them into this company. They get these like session musicians in the room and just like for like 12 hour days, they just improvise. They'd get like a singer and they'd be like, all right, let's do, they just have the lyrics and they're like, I don't know, just do like a standard blues riff. And they'd all just improvise the song on the spot. They cut the record mail it to like the person who uh, wrote the lyrics and then it was like a scam they'd be like well in order to really get like record labels attention like you gotta give send us a check for like a thousand dollars wow yeah so there anyway these seven inches floating around of like these like crazy songs that they're hilarious. Some of them are hilarious. Some of them are actually like really good songs. There's like a few like well-known artists. Um, Rod Keith is one of them. He was like prolific as a vocalist. He like in a composer for these things. Like I could go on and on. I was like obsessed with song poet song poetry. So that was like part of the novel too. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Yeah. I love some poetry compilations. <laughs> does, does the are, are there compilations that exist out there of these songs? Oh yeah, yeah. Is there it, was a um, a couple different places were putting them out. There was um, uh, one of the most famous ones is "Songs in the Key of Z." That was like a program that um, I'm blanking on his name. In the '90s, he was a DJ in New York. WFMU is that? I know WFMU. Yeah, one he had like a show on there of just like weirdo. You know, this is the '90s, so it was like stuff that was being circulated on tapes, like just yeah. weird shit that people would copy. A lot of it was song poetry. A lot of it was like weird demos that, like, keep Casio keyboard demos that they would like songs they would make, like kind of like Wesley Willis, like how that yeah. stuff got started and everything. And so yeah, he had like a total like weirdo audio clips show that was so cool and yeah i used to just like collect stuff like that (laughs) yeah i have i still have some stuff i had it on tape but now i I had it transferred but it's i think people forget like now that's so easy to get or it's thrown up on TikTok, but not it's like but these we would circulate these things around the theater i I worked at and it was like it was like gold and you would listen to it over and over yeah yeah, I'm sure you guys you guys probably had like the videos and everything. Yeah. Yeah, like. we had, Yeah, there was and there was like dude who bartended at Second City who was like into the real weird underground world, so he would get some really fucked up videos. <laughs> yeah, I imagine. Yeah, that was how it was. <laughs> yeah, the, and then like I remember like Gigi Allen stuff going around too, like on a VHS yeah. and which really no one should have to witness. <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you does the does the novel writing or does that aspect because i know you 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 were an editor so does that still is that something that's still on your mind that like you're like i want to get back to that or is that is that aspect of your life gone 
You know, it's weird. My like creative brain kind of is like a that voice that I had when I was writing that isn't there right now, but some of the poetry voice that I used to have did come back and that actually informed a lot of the new album. So it's, it's weird. Like sometimes I'll just get like voices that like come and go with stuff. And then it's just like, whatever, sometimes I'll get like screenwriting voice. And then it's like, I, I'll have to, it's so weird. Like I'll have to like write a screenplay or like part of like a screenplay, even though it's not going to be turned into anything or it's probably not even good, but it's like, I have to get it out or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, I relate. <laughs> Cause I write, I write and it's funny yeah. because I went, started writing things and then I went a whole journey and I feel like I'm coming back to what I feel like I was supposed to be doing all along, but that fucking yeah. nagging bullshit of showbiz and like, oh, I should make money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fucking derailed me. But, uh, but I, but you don't know, you don't know what could happen with that portion of a screenplay you wrote. One day you might look at it and be like, oh fuck, here it is. And then you win an Oscar. That's true. Yeah. Like there was like, one idea I have that like I kind of want to go back to it's like a 10 year old girl that um she has this like grade school boyfriend it's just like this like adorable like <laughs> see like coming of age type thing that like I really liked that I had started writing so maybe one day I'll go back to it my problem is like with any long form narrative my brain just like does too much. It wants to, Oh, I got to work this in. Oh, I got to, I like this thing. I got to put this into, and it just turns into a mess. And it's like music and poetry is like much easier for me because it's, they're, they're tiny, like they're <laughs> bite-sized pieces. They can't be like every idea I have, you know, I have to edit them. I have to like pick and choose. And to me, that's what like makes most are good. Not all are, but like there's always exceptions, but like in general, like to be a good writer, you have to know how to edit. You have to know how to like identify what is good about this and strip all the other bullshit away. And I'm just like with long form narrative, I can't strip away the bullshit. I love the bullshit. Like, (laughs) Uh, so when you, this person, your, what is it? Do your creative not consultant, but you're the person who advised you to get back to music. Oh, yeah. So did you then jump right back into music and go back to, because you said you played bass, so I'm curious to when the guitar, because I discovered you randomly, you came into my stories and I saw you sh- shredding at a, like an outdoor thing. And I was like, who the fuck? Oh, yeah. I was like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> But I was like instantly mesmerized by your all of it, and then I, then I became then I sought you out and became a fan, <laughs> and I created this fake this fake podcast just to talk to you. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually. Well, I started out playing guitar. That's what I wanted to do and play, be a guitar player. You know, write and perform my own songs. Um, but it's it was just like you know, getting started in high school. It's like nobody needs another guitar player. People need a bass player. They don't need another right <laughs> guitar player. So it's really hard to like kind of like gain experience unless you happen to like 
be the same age as other kids in your school that are all starting a band. And, you know, so I, I just started playing bass just kind of out of necessity to just start playing out with other projects. But I had always wanted, I'd always wanted to um, have like my own rock trio type thing, you know? And, um, but the problem was I, I didn't know how to sing. I didn't learn to sing until like, 10 years ago or something. I was, like when I was younger, I didn't sing at all. And I like, I always wanted to, but I just didn't know how. And so it was really me like finding my vo- voice and deciding I wanted to sing. That's how then I started like actually doing like my own music projects instead of like playing in other people's projects. Does that make sense? It does. singing scares the shit out of me. I wish I could. I admire it more than anything on earth. Yeah. But um, was that a hard process to begin? Yes. Well, it's interesting because what I've come to realize is it's all psychological. Like um, when I decided I was going to like learn to sing, I went to a voice teacher because I was like, I've just never done this before. Like, how do you even do this properly? So she was showing me some of the technique and she was like, well, she told me two things. Like one of them was, she was like, you have a very unique voice and a lot of people would kill for that. So don't, don't ever forget, or don't ever stop focusing on that. And she's like, number two, she goes, you sing like you don't want the sound to come out. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so true. It's like, for many, many years, and even on our last album, you can, it's like you could audibly hear me like fighting with myself <laughs> over my own voice. Cause it's, it's almost like I'm like ripping my own voice out of me. And this is just like, um, it's, I've discovered it's all psychological. It's all competing psychological processes. Like, me wanting to express myself and then another part of me being like, no, do not express yourself. That's interesting. (laughs) Yes. And it is only recently that I've really discovered how to like, what that even, what that part of me even is that doesn't want me to express myself (laughs) and like how to address that and get that to like calm down. It's, it's so crazy. So, well, part of the um, background of this is like, while I was working on the new album, like shortly into the pandemic, I was diagnosed with a trauma disorder and um, going through trauma therapy and finally learning about that revealed so much to me about like why, why I do certain things, like why I am the way I am. And... I mean, even stuff like there was another voice teacher that um, I had gone to and she was like, you need to, you need to really loosen up. You need to kind of like make like a cartoon character type sound, like a really like high pitch, like thing. And I was like, I couldn't do it. And like, I was so embarrassed. I like started like crying. <laughs> and I didn't know why. And it was like the weirdest thing. And I was like, I'm so sorry, but I'm like, I just don't know. There's something not letting me do this. And it wasn't until I went through trauma therapy that I, like I understood 
that there are certain types of like vocalizations associated with the trauma. And that was like, my brain was like, no, you are not allowed to make these noises. I mean, it's so, it's so weird. <laughs> I like, I, when I, I'm struggling because I'm trying to figure out how I also, I had a very traumatic childhood, so I totally relate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, obviously you don't have to go into what yours was, but mine was, it was violent. There was nothing but violence. And I feel like, and it took me decades to, I I would say I'm still, but like, yeah, you know, like I would be, I would leave situations like large parties and stuff. There was all like, I would always get that feeling of like, if something bad's going to happen and split or not leave my house. Cause I felt like something was, or physically freeze. Like you would feel like either mentally frozen or physically frozen. And it's, you know, it's, Absolutely. I never knew that. So formally, I've been diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, which is usually associated with that like, chronic ongoing childhood trauma. And um, yeah, absolutely. I It's like it, all these things about me that I like experiences like that, that I just never, I would hide and I would, cause I didn't know how to explain them. It's like, now I know like that's what it was. It was the same type of thing. I grew up in like an abusive environment. If you like made too much noise, like you were going to get it. And so like, there is part of my brain that if I'm, I'm making a lot of noise, like it's like, you're, you're going to get it. You're going to get it, you know? And which is like this weird thing. Cause that's why it's why music is also kind of like really exciting for me. <laughs> right. I was going to ask because yeah there is a weird thing about the trauma response where like often people with trauma disorders we are also kind of like adrenaline junkies because of that because your trauma system was like being activated so much when you were a kid it kind of like throws stuff out of whack so like there's certain things that like freak me out like he said and like make me freeze up and then other things it's like almost like I kind of like enjoy because (laughs) They're like too much or something, you know? So I don't know. It's, no, I relate. Yeah. It's, it's a really weird thing, but it's, it's brought me so much peace to like formally understand what, just like why. And then I'm like, okay with it. You know, then I'm like, oh, this is just me. This is just how I am. This is just the disorder and it's no big deal. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the bulk of my stuff happened they didn't know, like my dad died in a very violent way on top of a lot of other violence, oh, wow. but I was there for my father's accident, but it was, <gasps> oh, but yeah. they didn't know what the fuck, like they didn't have PTSD. They didn't have that diagnosis when I was right. a kid. They said, Oh, go see a therapist. I just used the therapist to ditch out of class to get to the lunch line faster because <laughs> I was a little fucking hustler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, but so I, and I'm, I'm not a, like technically diagnosed, but I mean, I've had therapists go, Oh yeah, that sounds like PTSD or whatever. Probably what you, similar to yours. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely anything growing up in a environment, having a, a single traumatic event like that, plus having like a overall climate of like growing up in an abusive household, even a neglectful household. Like a lot of people don't realize like sometimes neglect for kids is like, as traumatic, if not more traumatic as like ongoing abuse, because like, you know, in a weird way, like if you have an uh, abusive caregiver, that's like erratically abusive, like sometimes they're abusive, sometimes they're nice. Like you never know what you're going to get kind of a thing that can be really destabilizing. But like, 
having no caregiver at all or just being ignored, like not even being considered a person, that is devastating. And that yeah. that can cause CPTSD too. So yeah, there there's definitely different forms that it can take. But yeah, it's having that, um, you know, it's, it was hard for me to understand because I always thought PTSD was like soldiers and stuff. Yeah. You know, and like that you have like, definite flashbacks to the moment but like with complex trauma it's like you have this thing called emotional re-experiencing where you're not actually flashing back to a particular memory it's just all of a sudden you just feel awful like just something just not like nothing happened and yet it, it just everything inside you just feels like black just like horrible and you don't know why i had this happen the other day my husband put on a t-shirt and I just like felt horrible all day. And then somehow I'm getting better at this. Like my, I was able to like meditate, <laughs> like my brain was able to tell me is the t-shirt. It's the colors on the t-shirt that wow. are like triggering this. Yeah. Because it reminded me of this, um, shirts my dad used to wear. It's so crazy but like understanding that stuff and really appreciating it and not judging it and being like oh that's so stupid and being like no this is a thing this happened so i'm just gonna be aware of that now <laughs> yeah i find myself and it sometimes it happens when driving which is not good but like you're in sort of survival mode and i'm driving with not the hey i gotta get to the i gotta get some milk it's like this adrenaline and panic and I'm not paying attention and I'm like, and it's dangerous. Yeah, like escaping. Yeah. Because I got a ticket the, uh, a couple months ago for like blowing through a stop sign and I wanted to be like, can I plead insanity? Because I was in, because yeah. I was having no. like a panic moment. Like it was, yeah, I was in a state and it's not, it's bad. And yeah, that is absolutely a real thing. And that's, the thing is like, even if you're not flashing back to like an actual like defined moment it's it's still the same thing but it is happening more like subconsciously so you don't know what it is which is why it can be really hard to deal with it because like sometimes it can like blur the line like oh let's say something some upsetting happened to you in the present moment you could be like oh maybe it was just that thing you know there's boys that triggers a plenty yeah but then it could be something completely different from the past showing up so yeah. yeah, you never know, but like you do have to like get good at recognizing when you're entering that state and then just being like having your tools of like your different like hacks <laughs> and everything that you do to get yourself your yeah. body to come down from that cuz it is like, you know, like in your body. It's not just in your head, it is like in your whole body. Like that's your nervous system is throughout, you know. Yeah. You mentioned meditation is that a is that something you do on a regular basis to sort of keep for for in, to keep it inarticulate keep your shit together <laughs> yes yeah i learned to do it um through the i went through like a two-month intensive trauma program that taught me so much so they're like regular meditation is but that's like something that like everyone should do like we all should do but for yes. people with trauma disorders that is absolutely you have to do it i've actually it, it can be hard to sustain, but I've um, started doing float therapy, which is like sensory deprivation oh, cool. type stuff. That is 
awesome. That really helps. Um, just kind of like do it's like a mega dose of meditation <laughs> doing that. And I actually just got one of those, um, meditation headbands. Have you seen that? No. These were the, like, they, it, like they're making like consumer products that can like do your like EEG, like brain waves. So it's so cool. I'm like, I want to write an album with this thing. Cause it's like, they have this app where like you can hear your brain waves. Like they, they make it. So, um, music plays. And if your brain is really active, it'll be like very loud, complicated music. And then if you like calm your brain down through meditation, it'll start getting quiet and simple. And then it kind of like ebbs and flows. I'm, I'm, I'm like obsessed with this thing. I'm like meditating like eight times a day with it. That's awesome. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I get up way before, cause I have a, partner and two kids and and it I, I think i probably drove my wife crazy at some so i i have to get up early before everybody else to get my head together so yeah. i don't because i don't want to pass my tra- i don't want my trauma to fuck up my marriage or my kids because you can place that shit on your kids real easy absolutely good for you good for you yeah uh it- it's definitely important to be like, I, I do not have kids. I'm probably not going to have any at this point, but like, it's something that, you know, I think about too, because yeah, when they say like you become your parents, like as a parent, like I see that a lot my, <laughs> in my, people. Yeah. My, I hear my dad's voice a lot. Like I don't, it never comes out my mouth at my yeah. kids, but the impulse of, cause he was the roadmap. And so was yeah. my mother. And, you know, uh, and I just, it's, uh, what I marvel at is how powerful it is, how how it's so yes. prevalent in my mind, even though I don't want it there. And it goes for yeah. so many other aspects of his, their, his and other people's voices in my head, you know? Yep. And that's the thing. And that's why it's so important to take that stuff seriously, because, I now that I've gone through trauma therapy, I recognize like the difference between my conscious mind and subconscious <laughs> processes. Then my conscious mind can be like, that doesn't affect me anymore. I'm fine with it. I've dealt with it. Like blah 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 blah. But when I start like observing my behavior and really listening to like the stuff that's playing in my head and stuff like that, then it's like. I can tell myself all day that this doesn't affect me and it wasn't that bad and, you know, I'm over it and everything, but I'm lying to myself, you know, like it's, it has to be a thing where I'm like, I'm aware this is always going to be with me and I can manage it though, but I have to be honest about it and I have to like be proactive about managing it. Yeah. 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 But good for you. Like that's good for you. So important. (laughs) Good for us. (laughs) I mean, it's I. It's funny because I got. I think I'm at a point where I can. I see it on other people. Like I can see what they're feeling and experiencing, and it's not like a psychic thing. You just. It's sort of like we're a special club. (laughs) No, it's so true. The kids that are like getting to meet other people at this program with the same disorder, like you start realizing like, Oh my God, like things that I thought were like, just like weird stuff about me are actually like just like characteristic of this disorder. Like, um, 
even having like that sort of like sixth sense type of like intuitive, like a lot of people who've been through childhood trauma have this like intuitive thing because you learn it when you were young. Trouble too. Yeah, because it's like. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just, I worked in like bars and like lived in dangerous neighborhoods. I spotted problems fucking all the time. Like a guy would walk in my bar and I'd be like, problem, like problems coming. And I was always right. Like it was eerie that I was always right. Yes. I get the thing where I feel it in my body. That was confusing for me growing up. Like I'm saying, like hanging out with these guys that were like way too old (laughs) for me. Um, You know, when you're, when you're coming of age, and uh, somebody walks in the room and your heart starts beating really fast. They're like, oh, that means you like them. And <laughs> I didn't realize that like, <laughs> no, I'm having a trauma reaction. This guy's bad news. Like when people yeah. uh, say like, oh, oh why do, why do uh, women always like assholes? Like, oh, girl, like women with uh, bad childhoods, they always like men who are assholes or like whatever. And it's like, I, now I'm like looking back at it. I'm like, this like, you could get your wires crossed as a kid where you think of, you know, regardless of gender or like sexual orientation or anything, you might get confused about, um, your body getting excited around somebody and be like, is this sexual attraction or am I actually afraid of this person? And my body's telling me, get the fuck away from this person. You know, it's the, they're two like very close, um, types of, reactions (laughs) and i can't speak for your experiences but for me i would choose the path that sort of affirmed abuse or like i would go towards the bad situation because it was oh yeah repeating the trauma yeah and what i was hoping for a different outcome yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah no it's so i had a therapist once who said to me she's like people like you never marry the right person. And she's like, somehow you did like, my husband is like a fucking saint. He's the greatest person on earth. Like I I couldn't do any of this without him. And yeah, I don't know. We met when we were like pretty young. It's like, I is like one in a million chance that like I met the right person and I like actually was okay with it and not, because he was like too nice when I first met him I was just like oh this guy I know <laughs> he's nice to me there must be something wrong with him <laughs> I've been there <laughs> <laughs> but like eventually he hung around and then I realized oh I'm the one with the problem <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad you uh, realized that because yeah. it makes <laughs> when you have some support too it it helps greatly oh yeah um to get back i could talk about this forever because it's helping it help it's helpful to me but i yeah. i want to get back to the the guitar because uh because i wanted to how you got back into the guitar which you kind of covered but like i don't know because you're so great like i love watching you play guitar <laughs> thank you <laughs> And I was also curious of like who some of your influences were only because partly I want to see if I, some of my guesses are correct. <laughs> um, oh, like when I first started playing, when I was a kid, when I started playing guitar, this was in the mid nineties. And because I'm from Chicago, I was a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. So I definitely, I learned to play guitar playing Billy Corgan riffs. <laughs> sure. 
Um, I loved, you know, Weezer. I I thought it was now because I'm like, why did all the bands I like, like the men who were in front of them, turn into like giant assholes? Oh boy, I've heard some. I, I, went, yeah. I went to it on air, but some I've heard some Weezer things. I was just like, well, I loved that music when I was a kid, and it's just devastating. And seeing like Billy Corgan, like what, what the fuck, like, and he, this was like music I really emotionally connected to. This is something, this is really interesting because I remember, you know, when I started playing, I started playing guitar when I was like 13. And so I'm like, you know, becoming like a moody teenager and, um, you know, like nobody understands me type of thing. And especially like being, you know, like things were not equal for women in the 90s playing music by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember thinking that Billy Corgan was like kind of treated like he was kind of like effeminate or people would like kind of call him a baby or like he was like not seen as like one of these like masculine like yeah. dudes from the nineties, like a Steve Albini or like, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so I almost kind of like identified with him because he was like, he was kind of treated like a girl. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I know. Were but you, maybe I just thought that because I was looking for somebody. <laughs> were you into the Jesus lizard at all? Um, Jesus lizard in, in college. That was like, um, later I was, cause I was still young, like back in the early nineties, I was still pretty young. Um, so I never got to like see them during the heyday, but like certainly like that whole, I mean, when I was getting it, like, like meeting people who are older than me and like, finally, like getting to know that kind of music, like finding out about like touch and go and like all the bands on that, that was when I really got exposed to that stuff. But that was like later after I'd already like been yeah. playing guitar for a couple of years. I was curious cause you talk about the, uh, I saw an interview where you're talking about your drummer whose name I, fuck, I didn't write it down. Jared. 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 I did write it down. <laughs> I just, my handwriting is that bad. Uh, but you said like he has the rush sort of prog thing going on with his drumming. Yes. And I was, it made me realize, is he from Chicago as well? Um, not originally. Oh, well that goes that theory. But anyway, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause like, because like, I don't know when, when I grew up in Chicago or even when I still lived in Chicago, just, you can't escape like rush and that pro like, you know, the yes. loop and all those radio stations, like that stuff is so just like classic rock type. Yeah, I was like, there. That has to be an influence on everybody, whether they like it or not, because it's just so fucking omnipresent in Chicago. Yes, yeah, and especially on the new album, there are like some definitely. I mean, there's obviously like some a lot of '90s moments. There's some like kind of like '80s it's a <laughs> moments great. on there too. And actually, this kind of ties in what we were talking about earlier um, with my dad with growing up. You know, my dad was actually like the one that like really exposed me to rock music first and like some of like my best memories were of him he he would like put on old records he was like a big who fan he liked like a lot of classic stuff like that like queen led zeppelin and he would like put on records like play air guitar and everything and it was just like it was so fun those are like the best moments you know like in his buick he would like put on like journey or whatever <laughs> and like blast journey and you know so i i really like that stuff and it was like 
especially on this album, I, f- I feel like it was like kind of important to kind of like allude to kind of that, st- that stuff. Cause th- those were, you know, when you have like a childhood trauma, it's never like all bad. It's not, it's not like it was always bad, you know, it's almost like sometimes the good moments were what made like the bad moments. It's like so much more horrible, you know? Yeah. It, they're kind of unnecessary. Like sometimes if you have a caregiver who's like a hundred percent, just like a horrible abusive person, then that you just always know what to expect from them. But like other times when it's like parents who are struggling with like issues of their own and not receiving the support that they needed, you know, like the behavior is kind of all over the place. Like one minute it's great. And the next minute it's just like, just terrible. (laughs) Yeah. No, my father was, his dad was very violent and like, I I could say my dad tried. I just, he was probably had his own trauma and his own, like his dad was a, his dad fucking killed people his dad was like a hitman <laughs> oh my god wow his dad was like classic irish fucking monster dude and like i know my dad saw some heavy stuff and like he'd take <sighs> my dad to like brothels and make him wait in the uh, waiting room like whatever wow like it was like a fucking novel it was crazy but that and it's and that's the thing that's like a and not that it's wrong to do this, but like sometimes like people kind of like sublimate those kind of experiences. They're like, that's how it was back then. Like we just dealt with it. And it's like, but did you deal with it? You know, yeah. like, like that, you know, that that's like a real, like you're saying, that's really heavy shit that would take like decades of intensive therapy yeah. to undo. But just like for that generation, it was like, that wasn't available. That wasn't appreciated. That wasn't, you know, it just wasn't something you did. And it it's kind of like our generation is now really having to unpack all this stuff. Yeah. Cause it's like this generational trauma stuff. It just, it gets handed down in different forms. It's just like a same thing, different form until somebody finally like, is like, no, this stops with me. Like I'm, I'm going to fucking figure this out and yeah. not pass this on. <laughs> and it's wild. Cause my seven year old, reminds like i see myself when i was her age and like she's just this wide-eyed very loving and just everything's open and excited about everything and i was like that was me and somebody fucking put a big foot on it (laughs) yeah and it's like so i i don't i don't want to be that i don't want to take that away from her and i had it taken away from me and yeah in a way i guess i sort of get to see it again or and it's weird because she inspires me to be like, you know, I don't want to be a, I don't want to be angry or that. Those are all easy roads to take. And especially when you're, you know, got your walls up for protection. It's easy Absolutely. to be a fucking angry person. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Well, cause I, cause even the experience, like even like good moments, like you're saying, like with your daughter and seeing that, seeing her experience joy, your brain is automatically going to be like, Oh, joy, just wait, just wait for what's about to happen. Oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes, and if you're not aware of it, subconsciously, you can make the bad shit happen without even realizing it because it's like, it's just such a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's just such a pattern that is worn into your brain 
but it's, you know, when you're aware of it, it could really be healing, like experiencing, being able to experiencing that childlike joy and just be like, and telling yourself and, and they lived happily ever after. Like there doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to be like this, you know, dark night of the soul that follows every beautiful moment. Like that was then this is now, you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I see the, and it's only been the last few years where I've seen the, where I can noticeably see the progress I've made. And just that even my partner will be like, Oh, you, you're a lot more calm these days. <laughs> it's like, that's awesome. Yeah. But I, you know, but then you have one of those bad days and you're like, ah, oh, I have so much more to learn and to grow, but that's, I guess it, being human. Yes, exactly. That's another part of this too, is like, we are never going to be perfect and everybody you know, gets mad at their kids, like whether or not you haven't had a traumatic childhood or not. Like everybody like gets, you know, has a day with their kids where they're like, I do not fucking need this (laughs) right now. That is part of being human, you know, but it's just like, is that every day, you know? (laughs) Right. Uh, I, the other thing I noticed is like, I feel like it, your band is, really taking off is it i was i don't know why i struggled to say that (laughs) maybe it was some trauma intervened there but but, because i feel like when i started following you on instagram you had you know some followers and now i i looked like a little while ago and i don't know you have like 20 it was like this major fucking leap is is that am i seeing that accurately or did i miss something yeah no (laughs) I don't know what happened on social media this past year. I like had a couple posts that like went viral that I don't know why they did, but they just did like the algorithm like picked them up and showed it to a lot of people. And it was like, it, I was not expecting it. Cause it's like, we're, we're an independent band. We have no record label. We have no oh, really? manager. Oh, we have nothing like this. We're just, it's just me. Like, honestly, like when, uh, like setting all these records out with pre-orders, this is just me in my house, like literally packing up records and like doing, I do a hundred percent of the stuff I myself. I saw <laughs> on Instagram that you were like somebody, you thank you noted somebody for buying the record or something. Yes. I, I'm like a big thank you notes person. So I literally wrote a thank you note to every single person who it's ordered the record. Great. I know, I'm like, by the end of it though, I'm like, th- some of them are like totally illegible because <laughs> I, I wrote like 400 thank you notes <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, it, it was a lot. But to me, that's so important because it's like, I'm literally, I am just like a, an average person that like, you know, like to me, I'm just, I, I have so much gratitude for like everybody, like their response for this album. Cause like I said, it's just me. I'm not doing like any press for this record. I'm not doing, it's just like me and an Instagram account and a band camp. Like that's it. I, you know? <laughs> I, I, I love that. So it's also very Chicago and of just like, fuck this. I'm doing it myself. Like that's yes, DIY till I die. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I love it so much and I love it that that it's working in your favor. Yeah, I'm shocked by it cuz yeah, growing up when I did it was like a years always like, you know, oh yeah, you got to be on a record label, you got to have a publicist, you got to do like XYZ and have all these things in place. And I just like I I definitely have that old school mentality where I'm like 
social media is bullshit. It doesn't do anything. Like, it's just like, whatever. And boy, I stand corrected. Like I, I, I'm such a cynical person in that way. And I never really believed if you just like put your shit out there that like, without somebody like hyping you or like whatever, that like people are going to like see it and connect with it. And I was wrong. Like, like you said, like, that's how you found me. I think that was probably one of those posts that like went viral. And then you were like, yeah, this is cool. Like I'll follow it. Like I just, I, the cynic in me never believed that that would happen. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, it's funny because I don't know. I was like, Oh, these, this, they're getting a big push. They're getting a big industry push or something. That's <laughs> a, because, <laughs> but then you're like, no. we don't have a label, we don't have a manager. I'm like, fucking, that's, no. but that's like, that to me is, <laughs> goes back to my core belief of like people doing good work and working hard, it will pay off and it gets noticed. And you yeah, have I'm, to go the bullshit route. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had kind of resigned myself to being like, you know, I just, cause, uh, at the beginning of this like album process, like I did reach out to record labels. I reached out to publicists and like nobody that I reached out to wanted to work with me. (laughs) And I was just like, you know, well also this album was just so personal and just such a, I really wanted it to like be mine. So I'm like, you know what? That's, it's not a big deal that like, I'm not going to get help on this because like, this is, this is just like such a personal thing to me and such like a moment for me. I'm just, I just want this for myself kind of a thing, you know? And so I'm like, I don't care if like, you know, I sell a million albums or like whatever. Like I just want to really do this like for myself. And so that I wasn't like expecting very much for it. Like, I know there's just like certain core Juna fans that they're like, Oh yeah, they're, they're going to be there. Like no matter what I release, but it's been really cool. Like seeing like other people, this album, like really resonating with them and that the, yeah, that people are just that, like they don't need shit hyped to them to them. They can just see like, Oh yeah, I saw this video, went to this page. It was really cool. I bought the album. Like, that's how it should work. You know, we don't need the music industry. We don't need record labels. We don't need publicists. Like we don't need blogs telling us like what the 50 best albums of the last year were like, who cares? Like just, it's all subjective. It's all like, it drives me. I, I like, I would never do not that anybody's asking for my top 10 albums, but I'm like, (laughs) I would never like, cause it's like, I have stuff I love. And if I hear something like, I did this with your stuff. I would send your video to friends and be like, this is fucking great. You have to hear yes. this. And people go, people respond to it. And I'm like, that's all I want to do is like be passionate about stuff I hear and share it. Like we all do. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, that's what's been happening. Like the people like Juno fans, like they've been amazing about like sharing our stuff with other people that they know that are going to really dig it. And it's just, it's, yeah, it's just really been like, it's like grassroots thing that like I had just become so cynical. I didn't think <laughs> it would, it would work and it really has. And I'm, it's, I'm just like over the moon about it. I'm like, yes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Please remember there's a part two at my Patreon, thebatdwyer.com. Thank you very much for listening. Have a good day. Call your-